We've uh, started a Lenten series over the past week, uh, and we're going to be looking at some of the signs from the book of John. John was one of Jesus' disciples, and he wrote a gospel a little later than the other gospels, and it accentuates some parts about Jesus' ministry. One of the things that John does is he calls out some specific miracles as signs, signs about who God is, signs about who Jesus is, and what he's come here to do. So if you guys would want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, Before we read John chapter 4, but you guys can go ahead and turn there, I'm going to read you a few verses from Psalm 103, one of David's psalms, just to set the tone a little bit. So listen closely, if you would, for this is the word of the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made, way, he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And now from the book of John, chapter 4, beginning in verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Will you pray with me? Lord, we're here because we believe you can do something that we cannot. That by your word, by revealing yourself to us, you can give us forgiveness and grace, and that you can shape and form us into the kind of people that give you great glory in this world. So we ask as we come to this word, would you give us humble hearts and open eyes and open ears to hear the things you have come to teach us. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So there was a little period, I don't know for those of you who got married right after college, but I, after college, did not immediately get married. I lived with three roommates. 
And one of them, we will call him Stephen, but that was not his name. One of them, I would arrive at various times in the evening, and I would walk through the front door of my apartment. I lived directly across from Jeffrey and Morgan at the time. And the room would just be dark, like the living room. I'd walk through the door, it'd be like, you know, midnight. In the living room, the lights would be off and nothing would be on but the television. And this roommate would just be watching YouTube videos, random YouTube videos. Sometimes it was like Wu-Tang Clan, rap videos, uh, music videos from the 90s. Sometimes it was like these weird horror stories from other cultures. But one time, and I remember this, he, he was caught in this kind of rabbit hole of a bunch of different types of videos where, where someone pretended to be someone else. Uh, and, and the one he was watching when I walked in was actually from an NBA player named Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie Irving went to uh, a barber shop, and he got all this makeup put on his face to look like an old man. He got kind of this wig put on. He put on, like, grandpa loafers and these uh, uh, khakis and, and kind of a button-up sweater. And, and so he's dressed up. He looks like this kind of perfect—he's got all these famous, like, makeup artists or whatever, and he looks like this really old man. And Kyrie goes to this basketball court uh, in New York and starts playing pickup ball. And he kind of like raises his hand or whatever. And, uh, and, you know, you never know how much of this is real. But it appears to be people having no idea what's going on. And, and he kind of jumps in the game. And, and at first he dribbles the ball off his foot and it kind of rolls out of bounds. And then he kind of like looks like he hurts his hip a little bit and doesn't get back on defense. And uh, so the video just kind of continues and slowly and surely... Kyrie starts playing like Kyrie, and all of a sudden he's dribbling like an NBA basketball player. He's pulling up from like 40 feet away from the basket. He's dunking on people in, in transition in this like pickup game uh, in New York City, and, and the crowd's kind of going crazy, and I think it's sponsored by Sprite or whatever, <laughs> because that's how our world works now. But the reason I, I tell you all that, not only because that video was really funny, and there was like a Jeff Gordon one too, there, there's several like really kind of funny videos like this. But the reason I bring all that up is because there's something about these videos. All of a sudden, this person you don't expect starts doing something, something that you may not have earlier believed they were even capable of. They catch you a little bit by surprise. And if you begin to watch closely, whether it's Kyrie or Jeff Gordon or whoever, what they do begins to tell you a lot more about who they are than what they look like. And I think in these signs that we've been looking at with Jesus, we're going to realize that what he does is going to tell us a lot more about who he is than, than what he looks like. And that's really what this sign is about today. So the, the main idea, and Joel does a really good job of this when he preaches, so the main idea that I really want to share with you guys tonight is that John, in the writing of his gospel, especially in telling us this story, I believe that John wants us, the church, here today to see that Jesus is the one whose voice can bring life, that it can heal the sick by the power of his word. And if that's true, we can go to him with all our needs, and we can believe everything he says. I'll say it one more time. John wants us to see that Jesus is the one who can heal the sick by the power of his words, and if that's true, we can take to him everything we need, and we can believe everything he says. 
So the way we'll walk through that tonight, we will look at what Jesus actually did. What is the sign? Then we'll talk a little bit about what that even means. Like, why would he do this in this place at that moment? What is he trying to show us? And then finally, we'll talk about what good that actually does for you right now. What good this story about a man 2,000 years ago actually does for you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of this week. So what does Jesus do? Let's look at the story a little bit again. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. Now this is the story we just talked about last week. But a few things have happened since then. Jesus made the water, wine. He told Mary, my hour has not yet come. But since then, he has gone to Jerusalem. And we're told he did many other things in Jerusalem. That he did some signs and miracles. And now Jesus is kind of coming back to Cana. And and, and this is a little bit of a different reception. He's no longer Jesus, guy from Galilee, invited to the wedding. He's a guy that this person from Capernaum has heard of. And this official from Capernaum, we will read, believes that Jesus might be able to do something for him. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was sick and at the point of death. The official said to him, Sir, uh, oh, sorry, I apologize. Um, He went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was sick at the point of death. So I think the, the key here, the thing that I wanted you guys to take away from this part of the story is that this is this person now from far away. Jesus' reputation has predated him. Jesus' reputation has started to gather. And this individual from Capernaum really believes that Jesus has something to offer. And in fact, Jesus might be able to do something that no one else can do. He has a problem that he can no longer solve, and he comes to Jesus. But then Jesus does something I would argue is probably a little frustrating. The official comes, and he comes with this story, and, and Jesus says to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, I think you've heard Joel talk about this. I've said a couple times there really needs to be a y'all version of the Bible. A lot of the times the Bible, especially in the New Testament, says you. It's actually using a plural you. It's addressing more than just the person that the you is addressed to. And here, it's the same thing. When Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. But the you he's using here is a plural one. He really means he's addressing the crowd around the person as well. Unless you guys see, unless y'all see signs and wonders, you won't believe. And I think the man kind of responds in an understandable way. He's like, right, could you come and see my son? He's sick. Would you just come on and heal him? Jesus says to him, go. Your son will live. Now see, Jesus heals from a distance just by the power of his word. This actually happens a few times in the Gospels. There's a lot of times that Jesus will go to an individual who will lay his hands on the sick or hurting person, or people will bring that person directly before Jesus, and he will lay his hands on them, and they will be healed. But there are also a few examples. These these examples, the Syrophoenician woman in Matthew chapter 15, 
or her daughter is sick with a demon, and she comes before Jesus and says, will you come and heal my daughter? And she asks in faith, and the Lord responds and heals. There's another example with the centurion's servant. In Luke chapter 7, the centurion comes, and he says, he talks about being a man under authority, and he knows that all Jesus has to do is simply speak the words, and the servant will be healed. And again, from where he stands, Jesus moves to heal the man. So this is a, this is a unique thing uh, in, in the scriptures in a lot of ways. There are not many healings done by the Lord's people or by the Lord's power that are done from a distance. We'll talk about that a little more in just a moment. So what does the man do? Jesus hasn't really responded directly to him, and he just says, go, your son will live. Can you imagine coming so far in such a crisis to meet the person you think will help? You ask him to come, to see the problem, to lay his hands on your child, and he simply looks at you and says, go. Your son will live. Now, I'm not sure exactly how far or how long he had to travel back home, but this man does something I would have a hard time doing. He believed the word that Jesus spoke, and he went on his way. Even without seeing a sign, or a wonder, unlike the crowd. And on his way back, he's approached by these servants of his, and they say, sir, 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 your son is getting better. And he says, about when? And it's one in the afternoon, exactly when he was talking to Jesus the day before, his son began to get better. So Jesus heals this official son simply by the word of his power. So it's a pretty simple story. But what does it mean? What does it mean to us? Well, the first thing that I believe should stand out from this story is that we have heard a tale of a voice that can give life. We know about something from the history of Israel's people about a voice that can give life. There was a prophet named Elijah. You can read about this story in 2 Kings. But Elijah is out prophesying, and he meets with, uh, meets with this widow, and there's this whole ordeal about the widow's son, or daughter being, um, uh, widow's son being ill, and, and he comes and he feeds them for a few months. But in the end, the widow's son passes away. And the widow comes to Elijah, is like, hey, I put you up. You said you were a man of God. You told me my son would get better. You've lived with us for months, and now my son is dead. Will you do something about this? And Elijah basically says, sure, I'll try. And Elijah leaves, and he goes, and he kneels before the Lord. And he asks the Lord to move and to heal. And all of a sudden, the widow's son is alive again. That's one time it happens in the Old Testament. Another time it happens in the Old Testament, we have uh, God's prophet Elisha, and he goes and meets with this person named Naaman. Naaman has leprosy. Uh, and Naaman comes to kind of the king of Israel and, and says, I am sick. And I've been told that I should come to God's kingdom to be healed. And the king tears his clothes because he's like, I'm just the king. How can I heal a sick man? And Elisha says, don't worry. Tell him to go bathe himself in the Jordan and he will be made clean. So Elisha goes, or the, the Naaman goes, and, and he's angry and frustrated because this seems weird. He's like, the Jordan's a dirty river. Why would I wash in that? 
But eventually, his friends and family coerce him to go ahead and get in the river, and he's washed, and he is clean. Now, see, the interesting thing in these two stories, which I think would have been very familiar to the crowd watching Jesus, is that neither Elijah nor Elisha speak the words in any way. They're totally aware that they have no power or authority to heal. They go. They go in silent. They go in private. They seek God's wisdom. They seek God's power. They seek God's authority on behalf of the people. They are priests. They bring God's people before God for healing. But Jesus, he's different. Jesus here simply says, go. Your son will live. The people listening would have known what he's doing tells them a whole lot about who he is supposed to be. Just like we said last week where the water becomes wine, suddenly Jesus is speaking and all of creation is bending itself to his words. He's not simply a prophet. He speaks on God's behalf with his own voice. Another thing that this might remind us of is that there's this long-lasting theme about a Messiah, a king who will come to save God's people. And time and time again in Isaiah 35 or Isaiah 61 or in Jeremiah, when we're learning about who this Messiah is, it says over and over and over again, he will be a healer. That when the king comes onto his throne, the sick will begin to get well again. Again, what Jesus does here tells us a little bit about who he is. He's announcing, I speak with God's own authority. He's announcing, remember all those things about a king who would come and heal? Look around you. The sick get well. Another thing that this means is it tells us a lot about what Jesus chooses to do. What Jesus chooses to do. I I actually think Jesus is a really interesting character. I know that's kind of an understatement. I'm a preacher. You're sitting in a church. But Jesus is God without unlimited time. Jesus is God in human flesh, but now he has to make decisions. When he does this, it means he doesn't do that. When he moves here, it means he doesn't go there. Suddenly we have Jesus choosing to do, God choosing to do certain things and not do other things. So Jesus comes to this man in Galilee, and instead of doing all the things that Jesus can do, he chooses to say to this man, go, your son will live. When you have a lot of choices, that can tell, and what you choose to do can tell you a lot about who you are. For example, if you go to an ice cream shop, and they just have vanilla ice cream, I don't learn anything about you if you get vanilla ice cream. You have just gotten the only kind of ice cream they have. But if we go to a place that has hundreds of flavors and you choose mint chocolate chip, I suddenly know that you're not that interesting after all. (laughs) I'm just kidding. If you like mint chocolate chip, it's fine. But when you suddenly have to choose between one of a number of things, you can learn a lot about what someone chooses to do. Last week, we saw that Jesus uses his power to cover shame, and to eliminate scarcity. What was in need is now abundant. The one who was embarrassed is now not. What does Jesus use his power to do here? The one who was in need has his needs met. The one who is sick is now well. 
What Jesus chooses to do tells us not just who he is and the kind of power he is, but the things he is here to do while he is here on earth. He's come to make the sick well, and he's come to meet the needs of those who will come to him humbly. And you may think, great, that sounds like Jesus to me. What good does that do me this week, John? I don't know how to kind of walk to him and lay my sick son before him or, or, or be away and ask the Lord to heal him. I don't, what, what good does that do for me this week? Well, I want to try to share a little bit with your heart about this. I spent a lot of years of my life not really telling anyone about the needs that I had. I kind of believed that if I had needs, it was probably because I wasn't doing something I was supposed to be doing. That if I, if I had something that I couldn't get myself, it was because I had made a mistake or I wasn't working hard enough. This was no one's fault. I had just grown up in a family of abundance who had met all of my needs, a family who encouraged me to pursue the things that were valuable in this life. But I hid my needs. And I can't tell you how much it meant during college to meet a group of friends that would ask me about what I needed and listen. I had never experienced that before. There's so much value in, in, in being able to tell someone what you need and then listening. But they couldn't do a lot about some of the things that I needed. It was really great to have someone who could listen to my needs but they couldn't actually meet them. Now, about mm, late November, I decided it was time to go see a, a primary care physician. Now, I don't have a primary care physician. <laughs> that was a bit of the problem. So I, I, my father-in-law is a primary care doc, and I know I can see him whenever I like, but he's retiring soon. And, and so it was time for me to be an adult and get my own primary care physician. So I start to call around to some that I know about, and I say, hey, I'd, I'm a new patient. I'd love to set up a meeting with you. And they're like, how does May sound? I was like, May 2022? I mean, it's November. And they were like, yeah, I think I have an opening in, on May 7th. I have an opening on like June 13th. And I'm just like, I, I have something I need. What do you mean you don't have like time to see me? Jesus, with all the other things he could be doing, makes time for this man. Don't you see how valuable that is? Someone who will listen to your needs. You have that in Jesus. But... Not only do you have someone who will listen to all your needs, you have someone who has the authority to meet them. What a mercy it would be to be able to share all your needs with the one person who can meet them on the spot. Do you know what a delight it is to be able to walk to Jesus and lay those things at his feet? So if you ever need someone, who will listen to your weaknesses and the places you are coming up short and then will fill you up. Then you've come to the right Savior. Do you ever worry? So that's one thing. Do you ever worry that Jesus, God of the universe, is off doing God of the universe sorts of things so he doesn't have the kind of time or energy to spend on your stuff? Do you ever think, hmm, it really is important 
that this job goes through or that uh, I make it to Aldi on time before it closes and it would be really great if they actually had Brussels sprouts this time because I told my wife I would have them before she got home. Maybe. And you think those are the kind of things that the Lord wouldn't actually care about. But Jesus here has time for this guy. His name doesn't make the Bible. I don't know who he was. But Jesus does. And he has time and space to listen to this individual. If you ever worry that the Lord is so busy doing big picture things that he doesn't care what's going on in your life, I pray that you will remember this official's son. The Lord has time for the stuff we will bring him. The third thing. Have you ever found, when you come to a church service like this, when you read a text like this, that it's just hard for you to walk and weigh in confidence and take Jesus at his word? Jesus says some pretty radical things. He says that you can be forgiven for all your sin, all of it, even that one. He says that obedience to him is more delightful than any time you have gratified the desires of your flesh, that you will have great joy if you will just obey him. Jesus says everyone who is sick will one day be healed. Jesus says those who have died in him will live, will live that everything wrong will come untrue. Guys, it's such a delight to me to tell you that Jesus can't lie. Not he just doesn't, he can. What do I mean by that? We see in the story, go, your son will live, and what happens, his son lives. One of the wonderful ways about Jesus being God and the power that that gives his words. Means if Jesus were to say something that is not currently true in creation, it is now true in creation. Just by giving voice to it, he is the creator. It will bend itself to his word and rules. When Jesus says the dead will live, it doesn't matter what was true before that because when the words have come out of his mouth, the world that he made will bend itself in line with his power and his authority. When he says your sin can be forgiven, it doesn't matter how you feel about that. What is real and what is true will bend itself into the word of this creator God. We can really trust him because he cannot lie. Trust me. I do know what it's like to ask the Lord for something over and over and over again. And find that the answer to your prayer is in the new kingdom, the new heavens, the new earth, and not in this one. I know. I know how hard it is to walk away and take him at his word. I know the pain of what I'm asking you to do sometimes. But I have good news. The Lord Jesus himself cannot lie. What he says is the way the world is and will be because the world can't help itself. And just like this man, we actually have something a little bit sweeter, a little bit tastier. This man had to walk away, 
go on his way with kind of nothing to taste or touch or feel to know that the word that he just trusted was true. But we know what Jesus finally went to go do. We know that Jesus not only took on sickness and shame and sorrow, but that he went in the cross and stared even death in its face, died, and walked from the grave. And we know that Jesus has given his church a way to taste and touch and feel even those. So if it's hard for you to walk away and just take Jesus at his word, he's even given you a word you can eat and drink here on this table. I didn't take communion all the time when I was growing up. It wasn't a common practice in the church that I attended. But I cannot tell you how much Week after week after week after week after week after week, coming up here empty and asking the Lord to fill me has shaped and formed me to trust his word. So for each and every one of you, thinking all those things that you just promised, all this promise that Jesus cannot lie, it's still hard for me to walk out of here and trust. I beg you, come and taste and touch and see. And see if the Lord won't be who he's promised to be. He cannot lie to us. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're coming to receive from your hands. We're asking that you would help us take you at your word. We're asking that you would be the God that you have promised to be. We're asking that by the word of your power, The dead will live, the lame will walk, the blind will see, that peace will reign over war, that we will have nothing to fear, nothing to prove, nothing to lose, that we will be alive in you. Help us trust these things, and more than that, to rejoice in them here tonight. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.